Our lesson of the day comes from Acts chapter 2, the account of Pentecost. Here again, God's Word. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia? Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we ask you now to send your spirit to work through these spirit inspired words of Scripture that He might be our teacher, that the Spirit might lead us to the Son who in turn leads us to You. Amen. I asked in the announcements, I'll ask again. Are you fired up for Pentecost? Uh, You ought to be. Uh, This is Pentecost Sunday, one of the great feast days of the church year. Pentecost celebrates the gift of the Holy Spirit. God pouring out the Spirit through His Son upon His people. Now sadly, in many Christian circles today, the Spirit is largely ignored and neglected. Many churches won't even mention that today is Pentecost. They would certainly mention Christmas and Easter, but Pentecost they just pass right on by. Uh, On the other hand, you've got churches out there where the Spirit really becomes the center of attention but in a way that actually misunderstands and even dishonors the Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit and what's His story? Uh, To honor the gift of the Spirit and to celebrate Pentecost, I want to tell you His story. Uh, We all know the story of the Son. The story of Jesus takes up most of the church year with Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, and Easter. But it seems like the Spirit gets just one Sunday. The calendar starts with the coming of the Son. It culminates with the coming of the Spirit. But celebrating the Son's work is stretched over several months where it seems celebrating the Spirit's work is all packed into just one day. Well, part of what I hope to show you today is that without Pentecost, all those other days we celebrate on the church calendar, Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, they don't really amount to much of anything unless you also have Pentecost. Now, I can't tell you the whole story of the Spirit today because that would require really looking at every single page uh, of Scripture because the Spirit is everywhere. His story is God's story. His story really is the biblical story. So you can never say enough about Him. But what I do want to give you is something of an overview. I'm calling this a Holy Spirit collage. 
All right, uh, I grew up going to public school and uh, in elementary school, I think probably sometimes as a time killer, uh, they would have us make collages, and you would you know, get out the magazines and that kind of thing, newspapers, and you'd start to cut out small pictures and then paste them to a, a piece of poster board to make a big picture. And I hated, right? I hated making collages, all right? But I hope you won't hate my sermonic collage of the Holy Spirit. What I want to do is give you a bunch of little pictures of what the Spirit does, who He is, what the Spirit is all about, and hopefully then you will walk out of worship today with a bigger picture of who the Spirit is, a, a better understanding of how you relate to the Spirit, how you engage with the Spirit. This sermon is admittedly, admittedly more topical than exegetical, as I usually preach, but I do hope it will be helpful. So where to begin? Well, we must begin in the beginning. In the beginning was the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit was with God, and the Spirit was God. The Holy Spirit has existed with the Father and the Son from all eternity. Why celebrate the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is love. The Holy Spirit is the love of God. The Holy Spirit is the eternal bond of love between the Father and the Son. The Spirit is positioned between the Father and the Son and is shared by the Father and the Son and is the love that flows back and forth between the Father and the Son. The Spirit is the Father's gift of Himself to the Son and the Spirit is the Son's returning gift to the Father. The life of the triune God is a life of self-giving love. And the Spirit is right in the middle of it. He is the go-between. He is the tie that binds Father and Son together. You know, we have that old saying, two's company and three is a crowd. Two's company, three is a crowd. That's not true. That doesn't apply to God. In the life of God, three is not a crowd. Three is a communion. Indeed, a communion of lover, beloved, and their shared love. Father, Son, and Spirit. In fact, really we can say a great multitude is not a crowd because the Spirit as the outflowing, outgoing love of the Father and the Son has reached out to us and has drawn us into this never-ending circle of love and fellowship that Father and Son share. And so now, the same love that the Father and Son have for one another, they lavish on us. They share with us. The Spirit indwells the Father. The Spirit indwells the Son. And because of the Spirit, we indwell the Father and the Son as well. The Spirit is the presence of the Father in the Son and the presence of the Son in the Father. And through the Spirit, the Father and Son are present to us as well. We celebrate the Holy Spirit. We celebrate this gift of the Spirit because the Spirit is the outpoured, outflowing love of God. That's true inside the life of the Trinity. It's also true outside the life of the Trinity as the Spirit reaches out and draws us into this fellowship with Father and Son. Why do we celebrate the Spirit? We celebrate the Spirit because the Spirit is the Creator Spirit. It's interesting to me how many hymns for Pentecost are really celebrations of creation. Uh, there's one thing that's obvious, it's this. The Spirit loves matter. The Spirit loves matter. He loves to use matter and work with matter. 
Genesis 1 tells us in the beginning, the Spirit hovered over the watery earth. And for the next six days, the Spirit executes the Father's Word, bringing order and beauty and harmony and glory into the world, culminating with the Spirit, breathing life into man, making the dirt of the earth into a living being, a living soul. As we confess in the Creed, the Spirit is the Lord and Giver of life. He forms and fills and brightens God's creation. The Spirit is the breath of God that breathes life into every living thing. In fact, the word for Spirit, as you may know, is the word for breath or for wind. Where the wind of the Spirit blows, there is life. Life in every sense. Biological life, spiritual life. Life in every sense comes from the Spirit. He is the Lord and giver of life. Why celebrate the Spirit? Because He is the Spirit of righteousness. Because He is the Spirit of righteousness, He is the Spirit of judgment. When Adam and his wife fell into sin in Genesis 3, the Lord comes, the text says, most translations don't catch this, but the text says the Lord came to the garden in the Spirit or wind of the day. And Adam and his wife heard that sound, that rushing sound of wind, those rushing winds of the Spirit, and they ran and hid themselves from the presence of the Lord because they could hear the Lord coming with His rushing wind, His Spirit. But the Lord and His rushing Spirit found them. And we see there in Genesis 3, the Spirit is the Spirit who searches the deep things of God, but yes, also the deep things of men. He is the Spirit who searches and tries the hearts of men, who strives with all flesh, and through whose wisdom the Lord renders perfect judgment. He is the Spirit who convicts of sin, but He is also the Spirit by whom we put sin to death. He is the Spirit of righteousness. He convicts us of our unrighteousness, but He also leads us into righteousness. There's no hope of growing in righteousness apart from the Holy Spirit. We celebrate the Spirit because He makes us righteous. Why celebrate the Holy Spirit? Because He is the Spirit of grace. Our whole salvation is by grace from beginning to end. And grace, I think sometimes we get confused how we speak of grace. Grace is not kind of substance that God pours into us as it were. Grace is the unearned, unmerited favor of God that comes to us in the personal power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the grace of God to you. And so we can say, really, why do we celebrate the Spirit? Because there is no Christian faith. There's no Christian life. There's no Christian living apart from the Spirit because the Spirit is God's grace at work in us. It's interesting. There are two basic declarations, two basic Christian declarations that are directed to the other two persons of the Trinity, but they are both produced in us by the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, no man can confess Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's the most basic Christian confession of all. Jesus is Lord. No man can confess Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 4, Paul says that God sent the Spirit into our hearts that we might cry out, Abba, Father. That's the most basic Christian prayer. Abba, 
Father, it's the Spirit that leads us in this prayer, that prompts this prayer, this cry in us. And so we can say the Spirit directs our faith towards Jesus as Lord. And the Spirit directs our prayers to Abba, the Father. By the Spirit, we trust in Christ and receive the things of Christ. By the Spirit, we have access to and intimacy with the Father in prayer. Our relationships with the Father and with the Son are cradled in the Holy Spirit. Indeed, the Holy Spirit is right at home in churches where Christ is confessed and worshipped as Lord and in churches where prayer is offered to Abba the Father. And this is because the mission of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Father and the Son, to bring us into relationship with the Father and the Son. The Spirit doesn't draw attention to Himself. He points us to the Father and the Son. He points our faith to the Son. He points our prayers to the Father. We honor the Spirit most when we trust in Christ and when we pray to the Father. Why celebrate the Holy Spirit? Because the Spirit is the Spirit of wisdom. His wisdom is seen in the created order, but also in all human knowledge and wisdom and understanding. All human knowledge, all human craftsmanship, all human artistic and technical excellence comes from the Spirit. You've heard the slogan, all truth is God's truth. Really, we can say all truth is the Spirit's truth. All wisdom is the Spirit's wisdom. Wherever wisdom is found, it's only because the Holy Spirit has granted it. And so in the book of Exodus, when Bezalel and Oholiab were commissioned to make furnishings for the tabernacle, for God's house, the Spirit comes upon them to equip them for the task. So they can make artistic works of excellence and beauty. Later on, the Spirit gives David and Solomon wisdom to reign as kings. Ultimately, the sevenfold Spirit, that is, the Spirit without measure, the Spirit without limit, rests on Jesus, enabling Him as the new Adam and the new David and the new Solomon to reign in righteousness over the whole cosmos in perfect wisdom, rendering perfect judgment. Isaiah 11 says He is filled with the sevenfold Holy Spirit to render righteous and wise kingly judgment. To see the same anointing of the Spirit that Christ has received. The head has been anointed, but that anointing oil of the Spirit flows down over the whole body. So the whole church is covered in this anointing. We reign with Christ in the wisdom of the Spirit as well. Why celebrate the Holy Spirit? Because the Spirit is the Spirit of warfare. He is the warrior Spirit. You see this all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, in the book of Judges, the Spirit comes upon men like Othniel and Gideon and Samson to make them great warriors that they might deliver God's people and defeat the pagan gods and their people. He comes upon Jesus at His baptism. And what happens immediately after Jesus is given the Spirit in His baptism? He's cast out into the wilderness to do battle with Satan. For 40 days, Satan comes to Him, the accuser and the tempter. But because the Spirit, the warrior Spirit, rests upon Him, Jesus is victorious. Indeed, throughout His ministry we see this. By the Spirit, Jesus drives out demons and heals diseases and cures leprosy and announces the forgiveness of sin. The Spirit does battle against sin and against the effects of sin. 
Those who have the Spirit are assured of victory. And indeed, this warrior spirit now dwells in us. And so we are at war with sin as well. The Spirit fights against the flesh. The flesh fights against the Spirit. But the Spirit is stronger. The Spirit will win in the end. Flesh is just disordered humanity. The Spirit comes to set humanity right. To put our humanity back on track, as it were. And so by means of the Spirit, we triumph over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Why celebrate the Spirit? Because He is the Spirit of life. He's the Spirit of recreation. He's the Spirit of resurrection. The Spirit fluttered over the creation in the beginning. Now that word that's used for the fluttering or hovering of the Spirit over the watery earth in Genesis chapter 1, that's a word that's used elsewhere for the flight of birds above the face of the earth. And indeed, in the rest of the Scripture, the Spirit is associated with birds, with winged Creatures And so after the flood, what does Noah do? Once again, the earth is covered with water. The flood is a kind of decreation. What does Noah do? He sends out a dove as a symbol of the Spirit. And that dove flutters above the water-covered earth, signaling the dawn of a new creation. And soon enough, the waters part and land emerges just like in the creation account. Of course, the ultimate form of this is Jesus' baptism. At Jesus' baptism, the dove comes upon him. The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove comes over the waters of the Jordan, showing Jesus to be not just a new Noah, but the one who will inaugurate a new humanity, the beginning of a new humanity, a new creation. You have this in other places, like in Deuteronomy 32, which celebrates the Exodus, the Exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. It describes God's spirit like an eagle fluttering over its young to protect them. As if to say, the Spirit led baby Israel out of slavery in Egypt and formed them into a new nation, a new creation. And of course, we know this is true when the Spirit comes upon us as well. The Spirit comes upon us to make us new creatures, sharers in God's new creation in Christ. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, raises us from death and sins and trespasses to new life in union with the risen Jesus. Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again, which He explains in terms of being born of water and the Spirit. The Spirit brings us new birth. He brings us new life. He makes the dry bones. We read about in Ezekiel today. He makes the dry bones come to life. The Spirit is the giver of new life, the recreator, the one who brings resurrection. Why celebrate the Spirit? Because He is the Spirit of salvation. As John Calvin pointed out, all that Jesus the Son did and suffered for us remains of no use to us. It remains of no value for us unless we are united to the Son so we can share in all He has accomplished. The work of the Holy Spirit is the work of uniting us to Christ to make us sharers in all Christ has accomplished. And so the Spirit draws us to the Savior. The Spirit gives us faith. The Spirit binds us to Christ. 
The Spirit positions Himself between Christ and the Christian, uniting us to each other. Talk about how the Spirit is the bond of love between Father and Son, but the Spirit is also the bond of love between the Son and His church. Indeed, the Spirit is the bond of love flowing between us. The Spirit is the matchmaker who marries Christ to His bride, the church. And that means a gospel that only includes Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter is really no gospel at all. Pentecost is absolutely integral to the gospel as well. If the Father did not pour out the Spirit on us through the Son, we would have no share in Christ's work. We would still be in our sins. To paraphrase the Apostle Paul, if the Spirit has not been poured out, we are of all men most to be pitied. Or to paraphrase the Apostle John, God so loved the world that He gave His only preceding Spirit that whoever receives Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The Spirit brings us salvation by uniting us to Christ. All that the Son has done becomes ours through the Spirit. The Spirit takes what is Christ and gives it to us. God the Son accomplished our salvation. God the Spirit applies that salvation to us. Sometimes you hear preachers attack what they call a Jesus plus gospel. Preachers will attack what they call a Jesus plus gospel, saying you can't add anything to Christ's work. His life and death and resurrection are fully sufficient for salvation. And I understand what preachers mean by that. And I agree with what they mean by that. They mean salvation is not Jesus plus human works or Jesus plus human merit or Jesus plus human tradition. And all that's right. But I still think the the formula there is deeply flawed. Jesus alone is not enough. The Gospel is not Jesus plus nothing. The Gospel is Jesus plus the Spirit. Jesus plus the Spirit equals salvation. Jesus minus the Spirit is no salvation at all. You owe just as much to the Spirit as you do to the Son. We don't think about it that way, perhaps because when the Spirit comes, again, He doesn't call attention to Himself. He shines His light on Christ. He points all our attention to Christ, but it is true. You are saved by the Son through the Spirit. The Gospel is not just the Son has come. The Gospel is also the Spirit's coming as well. There is no salvation without it. Christ died in vain unless the Spirit has come. Why celebrate the Spirit? Because He is the Spirit of glory. This is certainly true inside the life of the Trinity, the Father and Son have been glorifying one another from all eternity. And how do they glorify one another? By giving glory to each other. And that glory is the Spirit. The exchange of glory between Father and Son is an exchange of gifts. And the gift exchanged is the Holy Spirit. The Father and Son mutually glorify one another by giving each other the Holy Spirit. He is, just as He is the love they share, He is the glory they share with one another. But this glory shows itself in other ways. This is true in other ways as well. When the Father speaks, 
The Son is His Word, and the Spirit is the breath that carries the Word along. But all throughout Scripture, we find the Spirit glorifies whatever He touches. And so really we could say, the Spirit glorifies the Word by turning speech into song. And so really we could put it this way, the Father is the singer, the Son is the lyric, and the Spirit is the music of God. He gives melody and beauty to the Word of the Father. And that fits because when we are filled with the Spirit, we see in Scripture, we become singers as well. The Spirit glorifies our speech as well. I didn't make it to many of the Theophilus classes this last week on music, but the ones I went to were really, really good, and I heard about uh, the other classes. And I think one of the best lines that came out of this week, I think it was Dr. Lightheart that I heard this attributed to, the Spirit was made music and dwelt among us. Even as the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, the Spirit was made music and dwelt among us. The Spirit manifests His presence in music. Music is a form of audible glory through which the Spirit reveals Himself to us. I think the Apostle Paul is getting at this in Ephesians chapter 5, where he describes not what a Spirit-filled community looks like, but what a Spirit-filled community sounds like. And Paul says in Ephesians 5, Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So don't imbibe alcoholic spirits to excess. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he says in Ephesians 5, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. We become a musical people. When we're filled with the Spirit, we sing. And when we sing, the Spirit fills us. The Spirit is love. And lovers sing. The singing Spirit fills us with His song and with His joy. So interesting to see how this plays out in different places in Scripture. For example, the Spirit came to indwell Saul when he was anointed as king. But then Saul sinned grievously. He fell into deep sin. He grieved the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit, as it were, packed up its bags and moved out from Saul. And that Spirit that left Saul came to rest on David. And when David received the Spirit, what did he do? He became a singer. He wrote songs and he played them on his harp. And indeed, through his music, the Holy Spirit waged battle with the evil demonic spirits that came to fill Saul and torment him. When the Spirit comes upon Mary in the book of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, when the Spirit comes upon Mary to conceive Jesus the Son in her womb, not only does she become pregnant, but she also breaks out in song. She gave us the Magnificat, a song about holy war. And really the same is true in the opening chapters of Luke's Gospel with Zechariah and Simeon. When the Spirit comes upon them, when they are filled with the Spirit, what happens? They break out in song. They sing new songs. Songs of victory, songs of warfare, songs of triumph. When the Holy Spirit fills a community, we sing together songs of power and beauty. When a church sings psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, the devil and his demons tremble in fear. 
When the Spirit comes, He is not silent. The Spirit is loud. It's so interesting in Scripture. All the images we have of the Spirit are of things that are not graspable. There's something ungraspable about the Spirit. The Spirit is wind and fire and oil and water. You can't grasp hold of the Spirit. But you can hear the Spirit when He comes. When the Spirit comes, He can be heard. The Spirit makes us speak and sing with beauty, truth, and goodness. And that music we make as we sing together in the Spirit really is symbolic of the way the Spirit harmonizes our lives into a community covered in glory. A glory-filled, glory-covered community. You know, what's the most glorious place of all? Where are the most glorious people of all found? In heaven, right? Heaven's the most glorious place of all. That's where the glorified saints and glorious angels are. And of course, the glory of God Himself is there in heaven. When you look at the book of Revelation, John is taken up into the heavens. And especially in chapters 4 and 5, you see this. When he's taken up into this glorious heavenly sanctuary, what happens? There is musical praise going on all around him. Musical glory. The the glory of heaven is largely musical. And that's because it's a place filled with the Holy Spirit. The music of God. The music of the saints. Why celebrate the Spirit? Because He is the Spirit of mission and of witness. He is the missionary Spirit. The Spirit not only gathers us into a community, He also sends us out. He is the outgoing missionary Spirit. He is the sent Spirit. This is true in the Son. When the Son is sent, the Spirit goes with Him. When the Father sent the Son into the world, the Son was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. In other words, what I said earlier about Pentecost being the one day, the only day we celebrate the Spirit's work isn't really true because Christmas is actually a celebration of the Spirit's work too. The Spirit's work in the birth of Jesus. In fact, really we can say the whole mission of the incarnate Son is carried out by and through the Holy Spirit. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit then comes upon Him in His baptism to make Him the Messiah, the Anointed One. He's anointed with the Spirit to begin His Messianic ministry. When He dies on the cross, Hebrews 9 says He offered Himself through the eternal Spirit to God as a blood sacrifice. He offered Himself through the Spirit. So Good Friday is about the Spirit just as much as the Son. Indeed, think about what Jesus says when He dies on the cross. In Luke's account, He says, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. The Spirit the Father gave Him at His birth. He returns to His Father at death. Good Friday is about the Spirit. Every bit as much is about the Son. And then, of course, three days later, Jesus is raised bodily from the grave by the Spirit. Easter is a work of the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, the body of Jesus would still be in the tomb. Easter is not just a celebration of Jesus' resurrection. It is a celebration of the enlivening work of the Holy Spirit. And indeed, this is true of the ascension as well. When Jesus ascended, it was in the glory cloud of the Spirit. Ascension is in the Spirit. The Spirit who carried Jesus. 
as a chariot thrown into the heavens that He might be seated at the right hand of His Father. Ascension is about the work of the Spirit too. The whole mission of the Son is enveloped by the Spirit. But the same is true of the church. We've been given a mission as well. We have been sent. And the same Spirit that that accompanied Jesus on His mission now accompanies us in ours. Jesus is not with us anymore. Jesus is not here on earth with us. He has gone into heaven. There is a real absence of Jesus that we must contend with. But it's so interesting. In John's Gospel, Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's good for you that I go away. Why? Because I will give you the Helper, the Holy Spirit. It's better for you to have the Spirit than to have Me. Jesus says, I'm going away, but I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to stay in contact with you. And how does He stay in contact with us? Why are we not orphans after Jesus leaves us? Because He gives us what Paul calls in Romans 8, the Spirit of Sonship. Paul says, as many as who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The Spirit makes us sharers in Jesus' own sonship. We're not orphans. We share in Jesus' own sonship. We know the Father even as Jesus knows the Father. We haven't been left alone. In Matthew's Gospel, you see the same thing. Just as Jesus is about to leave, He gives them the Great Commission, sending them out to the nations. And he's about to go away, but he says, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Well, how is the absent Christ going to be present with us to the end? It's through His Holy Spirit. Jesus ascended and the Spirit descended. And in effect, when the Spirit came, He brought heaven with Him. When the Spirit came, He brought Jesus with Him. So the absent Christ is really present with us through His Holy Spirit. The Son departs that the Spirit might come, but through the Spirit, Jesus comes to us so we are adopted, so we share in His Sonship. So the Father gives us His Son in giving us His Spirit. And and, and the Son gives us through His Spirit all that's been given to Him. When When the Son gives us His Spirit, He gives us Himself. And so Jesus Himself is present with us through the Spirit. And the Spirit gives us the things of Jesus so that we share in all that Jesus has, including His status as Son of the Father. The Son continues His work in us and through us by means of the Spirit. So Christ is not on earth anymore, but Christ does speak to us. He speaks to us spiritual words. Spirit-empowered, Spirit-inspired words. Words found here in the pages of Scripture. As the Scripture is read and preached, Christ is speaking to us through His Spirit. In Acts 2, when the Spirit comes upon the disciples, He comes as tongues of fire. Why tongues? Because the Spirit is so closely aligned with the Word. Your word, your words and your tongue are inseparable. You can't speak without your tongue. The Spirit comes to speak the words of Jesus to us, that the Word might be with us. Christ cleanses us. He cleanses us through the waters of baptism, but only because the Spirit accompanies the waters of baptism and makes them effective. Baptism is a spiritual washing 
Baptism is water and spirit. It's the spirit working through the water. That's why Paul in Titus 3.5 calls baptism the washing of regeneration. Baptism is a work of the spirit. And Christ feeds us at the Lord's Supper. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul calls the supper spiritual food and drink. The Spirit enables us on earth to commune with and feed upon Christ in heaven. The Spirit on earth enables us to commune with and feed upon the humanity of Christ in heaven. The Spirit is the hereness or the nearness of Jesus. The Spirit is Jesus with us. The Spirit is a comfort to us and a help to us. How does He comfort us and help us? By uniting us to Jesus and pointing us to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He comforts us and helps us because through Him, Jesus dwells with us. And this means the Spirit empowers us for witness. He equips us for spiritual warfare. He enables us to carry forward Christ's mission. Christ carries forward His mission through His Spirit-indwelt, Spirit-filled people. The Spirit makes us sharers in the life of the risen Christ. He makes us sharers in the reign of the risen Christ. He makes us sharers in the mission of Christ. The Spirit brings heaven to earth. He brings the future to the present. He brings life to the dead. Christ has sent us, but He has sent us with His Spirit. And so the Spirit propels us outward to share the Gospel with others, to preach the Gospel to all nations. And we know the church's mission to the nations will be victorious because the Spirit is with us. What do we see in Acts 2? We see the Spirit came to internationalize and globalize the church, to open up the covenant, to open up covenant membership to all the nations. That's why there was was miraculous speaking in tongues, to show that this gift of the Spirit is for everybody. It's the reversal of the curse at Babel. At Babel, the nations are divided by flesh. Now they're being united in the Spirit. Certainly what we read about in Acts chapter 2 was a unique, once and for all kind of event. But that does not make it irrelevant. Pentecost cannot be repeated, but neither has it been rescinded. And the same powerful Spirit that came with a rushing wind and tongues of fire and enabled Peter to preach the Gospel with such effectiveness, that same powerful Spirit, that same mighty Spirit is with us in our mission to work through our preaching and our serving, to bring dead sinners to life and to grow the kingdom of God. You know, we live in a historical moment when secularists, anti-Christians, are claiming victory. They're claiming victory over the church. They've won on every front in the culture war. Whether you talk about abortion or marriage or education or media and entertainment, it seems that secularism is undefeated over the last couple of generations. It seems that the spirit of the age has overcome the spirit of God. It really seems right now like the spirit of God is no match. It's powerless compared to the spirit of the age. But what we need to understand is this is just another chapter in the long war of history, a war that's been going on for almost 6,000 years now. 
dating back to the fall of Adam and his wife in the garden. And this battle's not over when the secularists say it's over or when the Supreme Court says it's over. It's over when the trump sounds and when the Son finally answers the prayer of the Bride and the Spirit, come Lord Jesus. Then it's over. But until then, in the Spirit, we keep working and building and fighting because we know our labors in the Lord and in the Spirit are not in vain. We know our efforts to spread the Gospel and to build a culture of life, a God-glorifying civilization, a God-glorifying, God-centered city. We know these efforts are not in vain. Because we have the Spirit on our side. And the Holy Spirit gives us everything we need to live the Christian life, everything we need to build a Christian civilization, everything we need to grow and to obey and to turn this wilderness of our culture into a fruitful garden and indeed to turn our rebellious cities into new Jerusalem. That's the promise of Isaiah 32. We read for our call to worship. Yes, the world around us has become a wilderness. But when God's Spirit comes in power, the wilderness is again transformed into a fruitful garden, a place of life and glory. The Spirit is bringing heaven to earth and He's not going to quit until the work is done. The Spirit has blown on us and in us His breath of life. He has cleansed us falling like rainwater upon us from above to wash us of our sins. He has come upon us like anointing oil to make us kings and priests to God. He has come upon us like flames of fire to make us living sacrifices. We celebrate the Spirit because in giving us the Spirit, God has given us everything. We lack nothing. When the Father poured out His Spirit upon us through the Son, He gave us all we would ever need. He gave us Himself. The Spirit is the gift of all gifts. The gift that contains every other gift. The gift that keeps on giving. The giving gift. The gift of God Himself. Let's pray together. O Spirit of the living God, O Creator Spirit, O Royal Spirit, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who is everywhere present and who fills all things, treasury of heavenly gifts and giver of life, come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls, O gracious Lord. Amen.